Podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding Our reading will come from Hebrews chapter 11. It's toward the back of your Bible, and if you're using the Bible that's in the pew or the chair, I can make it easier. Uh, it's on page 1008, the book of Hebrews, and we'll begin reading with verse 32, but we'll zero in on 35 and following. We, we will talk some about suffering this morning, and then we'll kind of enlarge that whole idea of faith to try to Embrace the whole of our lives. If you're living in every area of your life by faith, then you're most likely to suffer by faith. It didn't just happen automatically that sometimes you hit suffering and then suddenly faith comes alive. Uh, it's because we've been living in faith in all areas of our life and we continue to live in faith even as we suffer. So I want to speak to that some this morning. Now, at the end of this long uh, chapter, wonderful chapter, listing particular individuals, then he kind of races through, uh, beginning where he had left off at Joshua and moving on to the book of Judges with these names and a little bit into Samuel and then just begins to name different things that happen to people. And it's divided in the first half of this little section on what people accomplished by faith. And then you'll see a little turn in the middle of verse 35 than what people suffered by faith. So you kind of get a feel of that as we go. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some, or literally others, were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Let us pray. Father, we are humbled as we read of the accomplishments of men and women by faith. And even more so in the sufferings of men and women by faith. Lord, we pray that our lives will be marked by this kind of faith. 
an absolute confidence in the goodness and the wisdom and the power of our God through Jesus Christ. And that our lives will be offered up to you, whether good or evil comes to us. Whether blessing or what would be called by the world tragedy. That in every respect, our lives would be given up to our God. Gladly fellowshipping with you, honoring you, and serving you, and seeking your glory with our lives. Bless us, Lord, and fix us in that frame by your Holy Spirit. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a turn, as I said, in verse 35, and he begins to speak of torture. Those who refuse to accept release. Uh, in fact, the phrase that they might rise again, it actually reads like this, that they might attain a better resurrection. I'd like to speak to that in a minute. Many think that they are referring here, because of this word uh, for torture, it's actually the word that we use for timpani. You know, big boom, 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 boom. Okay, timpani. But here it's not talking about a musical instrument. It's talking about something quite severe. This is the verb form of being tortured or beaten. And the tympanum was apparently a rack or sometimes a wheel in which a person was stretched. In fact, one person mentioned in the book of Maccabees, which dealt with the Jewish suffering under uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, it mentions this priest, Eleazar, who was being required to do some ritually impure things, and he just pushed them aside and walked to the tympanum himself. Just stood there ready. Do it to me, because I'm not going to do this. And he is stretched, and the idea is like a skin stretched over a drum. Well, his body was stretched over this rack and the taut muscles of the stomach, and then they start beating on his stomach until his... Muscle walls collapse and his internal organs are crushed. That's how he died. That's probably the reference. Then in chapter 7 of Second Maccabees, it goes on to talk about seven sons of a mother who one by one were tortured and killed in front of Antiochus Epiphanes and his cohorts. And they cut out their... The first brother, they cut out his tongue, they cut off his arms, his, his hands and his feet. They scalped him and then they threw him in a cauldron in front of the mother and the brothers. And as they began to do that same thing, one to another, to these brothers, and that's where they almost are convinced, every commentator, that this is what's talked about when it says that they might attain a better resurrection because they actually used the words of, revel, of, of uh, resurrection. It says, one of the brothers, you dismiss us from this present life, but the king of the universe will raise us up to an everlasting renewal of life because we have died for his laws. It goes on with the last brother, the uh, emperor tries to goad her into talking him out of it. You know, what mother's heart wouldn't want to go to her seventh and final son and say, son, you don't, you don't need to make the sacrifice. Son, it's okay. And it looked like that's what she was going to do. And it says she leaned over to him and she says, the creator uh, of the world is the one who gave you life and breath. 
not me. And he will in mercy give breath back to you again if you give yourself like your brothers did. And so she urged him, die for God. And then she died herself. It's probably the reference here as he's called to mind what all of these people would know in the Jewish tradition. Refusing to accept release brings about the idea of a payment. The payment is you will be released. You can be ransomed from this result of death if you'll pay this fine. If you'll pay this this ransom, deny God. And I love how Matthew uh, Henry put it that uh, they would not uh, pay for, they, they would not give themselves for such a vile price. <laughs> for such a vile uh, price. Well, the resurrection, though, was their hope. They looked and gave themselves in suffering because of believing in that resurrection. And so the phrase that they might have a better resurrection is a kind of metaphor for saying the resurrection they would have had would have been a life at the cost of denying God. And instead, they don't sell out for that life, but they wait for the true resurrection. That even if it costs them their life, they will have the honor that they have given themselves to the will of God and then will truly have resurrection one day. Can't even compare the two, can you? The way he sets it forth. They went for the real resurrection. They went for the gusto. <laughs> Not to sell out for the cheap price of denying God and dishonoring him and saying he is not worthy. He is not worthy. And so he goes on uh, speaking of the mocking, losing reputation, flogging, attacks against their persons, uh, chains and imprisonment, attack against their liberty. Uh, Stoning would refer to several of the prophets. Sawn in two may be a reference to Isaiah, who was sawn in two. Horrible uh, death and and torture. Uh, Many killed by the sword. Different prophets, Elijah and Elisha, went about with uh, skins of sheep and goats as a sign of their destitution and their impoverishment and their rejection by so many to whom they spoke. And so he says in the end, and and here are, are people who look to the world to be unworthy. Uh, to be themselves despised and, and hateful. And they might think of them cruel, you know, treat them cruelly and mock them and think of them as nothing but a piece of garbage. But as you see in verse 38, I love how John Owen says, but God is of another mind. It's not them that's not worthy. It's they, the world is not even worthy of being around these people. Because of their delight in God, their trusting God, even if it means the loss of all things. There was glory, you see. There was true kingship. There was true honor being displayed. There were the kings and the queens of the earth, even as the kings and the queens bloodied them and beat them to a pulp and burned them alive. 
Interesting how God sees things. The pathetic workings of people rising up against God, putting to death the very kings and queens of whom they weren't worthy. And what will it be in Judgment Day? You see, all of this has the feel of people seeing the issue clearly. To give myself up to the will of this glorious God who has sacrificed His Son for me. This Son has, has Himself suffered and now is calling me to walk in the footsteps of His suffering. And His suffering in, enabled me to have eternal life. Enabled me to have fellowship with God. His suffering has brought a kingdom to me. What are you going to bring on the table to rob me of it? These people were convinced of their kingdom. They were convinced of everlasting life. What could the world offer? What safety would they offer when judgment day is coming? What kingdom, measly, earthly piece of a lousy kingdom are they going to offer? The last brother, by the way, was offered by the king to be his friend. Hey, you'll be my close companion. I'll impart some of my kingdom to you. And he said, no thanks. No thanks. You see, this is because as he began, it's verse 33, through faith. Through faith. Seeing the unseen, hoping in that which is to come as verse 1 of this chapter. It is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Or verse 6, we believe that He is a rewarder of those that seek Him. That I can never lose by giving my life up to Jesus Christ, no matter what I lose. I will never lose, no matter what I lose for Him. I will always be the one who gains more of Christ, more dignity and glory as I live out the love of Christ to other people. As I make myself part of the light of the world, shining forth in some small way the glory of Jesus Christ, even if it means suffering and death. There is glory and dignity. But it is by faith, it is by faith that we give ourselves in that way. But as I said, I, I want to talk, try to dig into a little bit of, of what this means. What, what do we understand about God? Why do we so recklessly give ourselves to Him? And it doesn't just begin in suffering. In fact, many of us don't know a lot of suffering. We probably would suffer more if we were more holy and more full of love and more like Jesus Christ. But we're not in as dangerous a situation politically, obviously, as they were. We may be one day. Some of us may be sent to areas of the world. I can remember when a man from India spoke to our church years ago on this verse in Thessalonians. And I really had never noticed this verse that much before, and I never had any application. But he was preaching in an area where, of India where he could be put to death because of what he did. And he said, if they knew what I just ate tonight, they would go to my house and they would cleanse it with uh, bull urine. And then who knows what they would do to me when I got back. 
Here's what he preached to us on that night. Pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. So here's a guy from India. Pray that the word will spread among us as it has with you some in America and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. And it just floored me, the new sense of the application that this guy had of that word. It, was, it really meant something to him. Pray that we'll be delivered from wicked and evil men. That I will not die and I may preach the gospel to more and more people. But this means that we understand God himself, that we trust in him because of what he's done for us in Jesus Christ. And this becomes just the way we live every day. And so it naturally carries us through when we enter into suffering. So it means in the first place that we will be convinced of the goodness of God toward us in Jesus Christ. We'll be convinced of the love that we have from God. The acceptance and fellowship and peace that we have with God through Jesus Christ. I've defined grace in this way. Grace is God's embracing undeserving sinners without any reservation. Loving us without any limits and giving to us without any measure. That's the grace of God. Not just barely letting you in the door. But he embraces you without reservation. He loves you without limit. He does good to you with, with, and there's no measure to his goodness to you. And so a question that we ask our new members in our study of the grace of God. Are you confident that God will receive you completely and embrace you with joy and pour out his goodness into your life day by day? Does that mark your life? I believe he joyfully embraces me and his, he's going to pour his goodness into my life every day. This even means in the last place, as John says in 1 John 4, when we're really convinced of the love of God, it casts out fear, the fear of judgment. We don't have an awful dread of judgment because we believe there is no condemnation for me, Darwin. No condemnation for me. He's declared me accepted now and forever. It's like someone charged with a crime being told before the trial that the verdict is not guilty, even before the trial starts. So before Judgment Day, we are told, hey, you, you're not guilty. There's no condemnation. Never will be condemnation for you because you are in Christ Jesus. And so it's not simply the absence of negative and judgment, but it's the presence of his favor and blessing that comes to us every day in everything. We always enjoy the favor and blessing of God. It is only goodness, nothing but goodness, unmixed goodness. And so through your particular circumstances, nothing but the goodness of God comes at you. Nothing but the goodness of God, no matter what shape it may come in. No matter how much evil there is from man, no matter how much you may suffer in a creation that itself is broken and gasping for breath. Every encounter, every event is a train car in which rides the goodness of God to you. Is that how you see your life?
Were you that excited about your life this week? (laughs) That the goodness of God is coming at me this week. The goodness of God. You wake up this morning and say, the goodness of God is coming at me today. Monday, goodness of God. Tuesday, what? Wednesday? Okay, thank you, James. (laughs) Okay. So, you see... Then we have confidence in his goodness. We have confidence in his plan, in his wisdom, in his sovereign control, in his presence, in his care, in his attention to our lives. And we have confidence in his ultimate victory. He will take care of us through all circumstances, even in suffering, even in death. And even if everything in this life is removed and we face death, we're confident he will give us all things in the next life. He will spend eternity fulfilling my life. That's his commitment to me. We will have abundance, abundant life forever, even if this life is taken away. And this brings about the idea that's so critical for faith. It's simple, but it's, it's just dependence every day. Dependence. It shows a sense of our weakness and helplessness that it's not our wisdom, it's God's wisdom. It's not our will, it's your will. It's not my resources, it's not my limitations. It's God's promise, it's God's declaration to me. It's who God is that dominates the landscape. So faith isn't dominated by circumstances, it is upheld by the promise of God. It doesn't look to its own righteousness or its own capacity. It gains its strength from looking to the promise of God. So we believe that his spirit will strengthen us and give us energy and life to change, to walk in his ways. Faith by faith, we live new lives because we believe God is active in our lives. We believe in his promise that he will overcome our own weaknesses and our own habits. By faith, we change. He will really even change our motives, our twisted mindset, the ways we think, our very desires. Faith looks to him for everything. Real, ongoing, inside out, progressive change. By faith. By faith. And to believe him and to be dependent upon him is to be expectant. And I think we really, I'm afraid many of us, many days and many weeks, we just think God took a vacation this week. God's bothered with some other things, but he's not right there focused on me working in my life, bringing all goodness into my life. As though you were the only thing in this universe that he had to deal with. He would give you no more attention than if you were the only thing in this universe, the only object in this universe. Take the whole universe away. There you are. He wouldn't give you any more attention because he is infinite God and his unlimited capacity is brought to bear in your life. And you see, this kind of dependence exalts God. It declares him to be strong. It declares him to be good. You honor him as dependable. You honor him as trustworthy and faithful and that he is worthy to be trusted. He's worthy of any sacrifice. He's worthy of any loss. It says that 
nothing is impossible for him. It declares that God can deal with my sin, no matter how serious. It says he will be gracious to me. Faith enjoys a clean conscience. Faith enjoys peace with God. Faith is able to say, Abba, Father. You see, faith exalts the goodness and power of God. That's why faith is such a glorious thing. It humbles us. It calls us to brokenness and dependence. And it exalts God. And we become what we never could be apart from that helplessness. Apart from that dependence. Let me touch on... A few practical areas, just so we can we can think in very specific ways by faith, by faith, I'm going to live this way. Husbands. Oh, boy. Um, and I need to just turn on the tape and listen to this part myself. OK, so it's we husbands. It's only by faith that we will love our wives. And do you think of it as that way? Only by helpless dependence upon God to overcome all the trash and self that's in my life could I ever hope to love her with something that approaches the love of Jesus Christ. And do you go into your days thinking, Oh, Lord Jesus, I trust you. Enable me today to love her. As hard as it can be for us to love our wives well, it is hard for us to speak with and to them in the greatest kindness and eagerness. Right, ladies? To nourish and cherish them with our words, to build them up and comfort them with our words, to impart to them and communicate to them the grace and favor of God by our words. To listen with interest, to enter into their world, to understand them, really to understand them, to grow in our understanding, to grow more and more in our understanding of our wives, to make it your lifelong ambition to know her, to discern her needs and struggles and pressures and fears and desires, to plan how you can do them good To plan how we can protect them and embrace them. How we can use our energies and our available time to bring the greatest happiness we can into their lives. To convince your wife that outside of Christ, she is the most important person or thing in your life. That it is your happiness to do her good. To show a zeal in doing her good. I'm telling you, by faith. By faith. Faith, would we love our wives? Let me turn it a little bit. Wives, it'll be by faith that you'll love your husbands. And it is as hard as it can be for you to love your husbands well. And I'll deal with, I dealt with your love language and I'll deal with his love language. It's hard for you to give yourself physically to him in the greatest kindness and eagerness to nourish and cherish him in this way, to build him up and comfort him, to impart to him and communicate him to him the grace and favor of God, to listen to him with interest, to enter into his world, to understand him, to grow in your understanding, to grow more and more in your understanding, to make it your lifelong ambition to know him. 
and to discern his needs in this way. The struggles and pressures and fears and desires to plan how you can do him good, how you can protect him and embrace him and can use your energies and available time to bring him the greatest happiness you can, to convince him that outside of Christ he's the most important person or thing, that it is your happiness to do him good, to show a zeal in doing him good. Husband has to enter into her world. Wife has to enter into his world. And I know sometimes those roles can be switched in various ways. You see, it's a commitment to say, by faith, I will give myself up to God. And I will count my happiness simply this, to be an instrument in your hand, O Lord. Just to be an instrument in your hand. And you see... You do this expecting that your life will have its ultimate fulfillment when you give it away. You have to do that by faith. You do. You just, you just have to throw yourself out there and say, catch me, God, because <laughs> I'm sacrificing everything. I'm, I'm going for broke here. You put your life into his hands and you put different areas of your life into his gracious, trustworthy, nail-scarred hands. To all wise, all powerful hands, you entrust your life, your happiness, your satisfaction to Him. And so, in the words of Jesus, we know that by spending ourselves and devoting ourselves, not just as husband and wife, but across the boards in our lives, that then we will know Christ's joy and our joy will be made full. How could it be any other way when Jesus says, this is what I'm about, laying myself out for people And if you do the same, then you'll know my joy. Then your joy will be full. By faith, you have to obey that. By faith, you who are single hold to sexual purity. By faith, to say, this is what you've commanded. I will be enriched and fulfilled. I will be the most whole person and create wholeness in other people if I will walk in sexual purity. By faith, I will give myself to you, Lord. And it means every area of our lives. It's wonderful to be actively depending on God, to be aware of his presence, to be to read, to, to, to believe that he is present, to bless you and strengthen you, to believe that his eye is upon you. And it's only to bring good to you. To, to believe that he's aware of every struggle and hurt and fear. You see, that honors him that not that you think God is far away, but you believe him to be near and concerned about you and everything. That's an honor to him. Hey, by faith, eat your breakfast. <laughs> be dependent, full of gratitude, aware of his creation and of his provision, of his presence and fellowship as you eat. Of his strength that you bless those at table with you. With kindness and listening and care and oversight and sometimes discipline with your children, of course. But he's present with you. Do you eat by faith? Do you wake up in the morning by faith? A day to pursue the glory of God. A day to know Christ. A day to be like Christ and please him. A day of trusting God's purpose today. 
There are things to be said of single people. There are things to be said of children going to school. There are things to be said of going to work by faith. By faith, we live out every area of our lives. And in the end, it's all centered on the person of Jesus Christ. That's what makes faith kick in. In fact, I believe the whole of the Bible is basically this, and I've said it before. It's this, that we, through Adam and Eve, turned away from God and said, you're not worth trusting anymore. So that we struck out on our own. The Lord gives his son, and as John lays it out in John 4, it's through the giving of his son that we know the love of God and have become convinced of his love. So here's the shorthand of the Bible. You are not a God of love, and we cannot trust you. And we turn our back on him, and he lays out his son, and he comes and says, Oh, yes, I am. Oh, yes, I am worthy of being trusted. And he proves it in his son. And that's why Paul can say, all the promises are yes in Jesus Christ. God's commitment to to goodness, to bring goodness into your life every day, is written in the blood of the cross. That's the standard. And again, that's why Paul argues in Romans 8.32, if he didn't spare his own son, he's going to freely give you all things. God is all in. He is all in to bless anyone who will entrust their life to Him. Will you? Will you? Will you jump into that adventure? Stay into that adventure if that's where you are? Give yourself more to that wonderful adventure? And say, Lord, I'm helpless. I'm holding on to my own life. But by Your grace, I give it up. Constantly progressively, more and more, that you may own me and that you may manifest your love through me. Let us pray. Lord God, we have no hope except the hope of Jesus Christ. We have no Savior except for Jesus Christ. We have no means that our sins would be forgiven except that, as Peter says, He bore our sins in His body on the cross. You died, the just and perfect one, in the place of we who had sinned. And only by that way, Lord God, can our sins be completely taken away. And now you be committed to do us good because we are united to Jesus Christ. And you love us in him and you love us along with him. You love us even as you love your own son because he has owned us. And joined himself to us. Oh Lord, enable us all the more to give our lives up even as Jesus himself gave himself up to the Father in that holy sacrifice. Holding nothing back. Entrusting himself completely to your will, O Father. Even though he could have done so many things to escape, to even destroy all those around him. Yet, he gave himself up to your will entrusted himself to you. Oh, Lord, may we do that. No matter what you bring into our lives, may we trust your goodness and your wisdom and your sovereign hand. We cannot do it ourselves. You alone can save us. Have mercy on us, Lord Jesus. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Chase my fears away And shall my soul with rapture trace